Hello, and welcome to the Second Chapter Podcast. This is season nine of the Second Chapter, and I am back with more brilliant and inspiring women who have changed their lives and or their careers after 35. If you don't already know, I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I've had my fair share of changes myself, so it's a subject that's close to my heart. This week, I'm speaking with Kate Oakley. Kate is the founder of Your Future Fit. After 25 years in HR, she's fired up to help women with their physical and mental health in peri- and post-menopause. She realized she wasn't too old to start at 50, and she's on a mission to make this stage of her life and yours the best yet. We're notoriously bad at prioritizing ourselves. We usually come like way down the list. We feel selfish by saying, ah, oh, excuse me, I need to have this amount of sleep. I need to take a break and do this on Saturday afternoon instead of doing the laundry, cleaning the house, or whatever it might be. Uh, and I'm really delighted with this program because it does make a difference. And that's the main thing. When I was in HR, I wanted to make a difference, a positive difference to people. And in this role, that's what I want to do as well, is make a positive difference to women. And I feel, without wanting to sound immodest, I feel I do that. And that is rewarding. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me. It has been a long time coming. I'm so happy to have you on the second chapter. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. How are you doing? I'm on a scale of one to 10 today, probably a seven. (laughs) Ask me again tomorrow, but generally (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. A few niggles. It's never plain sailing, is it? In once you reach like menopause, a few niggles, let's say. I think that's fair. And we both had said before we started recording, we don't like small talk anyway. So let's just go straight into all the nitty gritty. I want to hear about your life. I want to hear about what you're doing now. I like to send out to my guests before, I've never said this before on air, but I like to send to my guests before I start talking, if there's anything I can't find by digging, because I think I'm pretty good at digging most of the time. But you sent me a few things that I was like, oh, Kate, you're a bit of a dark horse. Oh, really? (laughs) Talking about clubbing, you were talking about working overseas. And because I do want to shape where you got to um, today, how you got to today, I want to hear first about this working overseas, maybe. Okay. So that takes me back. Hang on. I'm 52, way back to 18. And I don't know where this came from. And if it was a generational thing, but back then I didn't talk things through with my parents and say, you know, how do you feel if I take a year out? And I just, I made my own decisions. Now my parents had divorced and maybe different scenario, but I just decided I wanted to get the hell out of where I lived because I was brought up in the countryside. It was quite boring, very pretty, but boring. And I was going to study French at university and by the time I'd done my studies at school here, couldn't speak good French, which is how the system works here. And so I just got myself a job in, in Paris as an au pair and said, I'm off. And so I went and did that. It was horrific, to be honest. Did it help it that you didn't speak very good French? I was fluent by the end to the point where, okay. <laughs> to the point where when the mum asked me to lie to all her friends about how she got the black eye, some domestic issues. I was able to come up with a whole fabricated story as to how we were attacked on the tube. And so, yeah, there were domestic issues. I got the hell out of there after about four months, but I was pretty fluent by the time I left. Literally, that's all it took. And then I went and did work on a campsite, which if no one's done it, 
I don't know if they take them once you hit 50. I think they do because I'm looking, I'm thinking back now and there was a couple who that's what they did. And he was definitely more towards 60 than 50. Campsite courier, you're just dumped on a campsite. You have to put these tents up. People pay a fortune for these two bedroom tents. And then cars come in and you are literally, that's it. You are responsible for their whole holiday. And I was just 18. I hadn't got a clue. I was given a moped. So I was bombing around like the local town. I started seeing the barman. You know, of course, that's what you do. The French barman. And just had the, a whale of a time. And my French by the end of that was just impeccable. And I think that's that sealed it for me. Living abroad and being able to speak a foreign language is just such a buzz. And I did a degree in French as part of my degree. One of the years was abroad again. And I was a language assistant thrown in the deep end. So I was 21 or something. And the French system is that if you fail you retake. So there were kids in my class that were just about 12 months younger than me. So, you know, they would come in like smoking a joint and like being all super cool. And I would have to try and exert some authority. Yet I was also just a young person having a laugh. So that that was good fun. And then after I graduated, I wasn't ready to go and join the real world and get a job. And I had just started seeing this new boy and he said, I'm going to Barcelona. You can come if you like. It wasn't romantic in terms of the offer. It was like, I'm going, you can come if you like. So I thought, well, what's the, you know, so I've always had this attitude of what's the worst that can happen. We'll split up and I'll be in this wonderful city learning another language. So I did a year in Barcelona, learned to speak pretty fluent Spanish and actually ended up marrying the boy. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah. What's the worst and what's the best? They ended up marrying the boy. Yeah. So yeah, love for travel from there. I feel like coming from America, it's such a rare thing that that people take gap years and things that people take in England or just say. Obviously, it's a lot easier to get to France or Barcelona or what have you from here. But I just... I'm always just like, why? Why is this not more encouraged when we're younger? Because there's so much figuring out to do. And it's like, in America, it's like high school, college, if you decide to do that and work. And so many people I talk to for the podcast and just people that aren't American in general, it's, oh, I wasn't sure about this. So I tried this and I wasn't sure about this. So I traveled here. And I just think it makes it doesn't mean you stay in the same job for your whole life because I don't believe in that either. But it does feel like people really figure themselves out in those years. And without getting more experience in life, how are we supposed yeah. to figure ourselves out? Yeah. I would also say for me, it just creates such great memories. So travel for me and experiencing other cultures. And as I've had got more money, I've been able to afford to go long haul. So been able to sort of go a, bit, you know, a little bit further afield. They're absolutely up there with my number one priority, creating those memories. So at the time, being really present in them and just making the most of it. So I'm not a kind of just go to Dubai and flop on a beach kind of person. Like <laughs> a beach, is, uh, uh, beach is a beach. Uh, yeah, beach is a beach to me. My family sometimes have said, look, can we just not go on holiday and stay in one place? Do we have to live out of a suitcase and keep moving around? I'm like, yeah, but we're in Sri Lanka. Why would we just see one little bit of it? Come on. So for me, the, the travel just creates such amazing memories. And I look back to when I was a kid and I think, do I remember if I had a nice fitted kitchen? No, I don't remember. But do I remember the time that we got in the car and drove to northern France? Yes. You know, so I'm like, I'll do that. It's the same thing for my kids. 
let's create memories, happy memories, stories. Things always happen on our trips. And so then they create kind of that family folklore. So when we're all sitting around, something like, oh my God, yeah, do you remember the time when? Whereas I'm thinking if we didn't do that, we haven't got those bonding memories. I have to say, your family should go on holiday with my partner, and I'll go on holiday with you. (laughs) Because he's always, let's just go to one place and stay for that. I'm like, no, I want to see a place, but you only need to do that for a few days, and then let's try something else. And he could happily, though, flop on a beach, and I'm, there's no flopping on holiday. (laughs) (laughs) You can flop, (laughs) flopping. Yeah, flopping wears off after 24 hours, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not a big flopper. (laughs) So you mentioned too about not really checking in with your parents and your parents divorcing and things like that. But I think a little bit earlier in your childhood, if things weren't so great with your family as well, you mentioned something about your mom. Yeah. And this is something that might be new to people who are listening. But yeah, my mom was an alcoholic and an alcoholic that to the moment, to the point where she died, still didn't admit she was an alcoholic, which makes it even harder, I think. So she... Yeah, she left when I was 15, but in a quite brutal way. I'm a mum, and I, as soon as I became a mum, I thought, how do you do that? How do you just get in a car without even saying goodbye to your 15-year-old daughter and your 12-year-old son, and you just speed off and you don't come back? You know, I just, I couldn't do that. Now, we did reform a relationship, but then her alcoholism just got worse and worse. And unfortunately, she became a very cruel, vindictive person and I think it has shaped who I am because I've had to without wanting to get too deep I've always thought just for lying when if push comes to shove you you've got you and if you is in a good place and a strong place then you'll be okay you'll be okay so at times that's made it quite hard for my husband because I'm a little bit walls up but we're still here 30 years later we're doing okay and maybe it's made me have a sort of attitude of what's the worst that can happen, what's the best that can happen. I'm, I don't know. I just, I've always had that attitude and it's translated very much into what I'm doing now. But actually I look back and go and think it was there right from the beginning. I'm just going to go and be an au pair in, in France. I'm just going to go and be a campsite career. I'm just going to go to Spain and live with some boy that I've just met. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And as long as I thought I could rely on myself throughout those things, all, all good. And I think it, it's perhaps from... Because your mum is usually who you rely on, isn't it? I hear it's that one person. Usually, I don't mean to stereotype, but there's usually a different relationship between a daughter and a dad and daughter and a mum. And I've not had that from about 15. And I couldn't even tell her if I got a promotion at work because she... Her response would be, bully for you. Someone's doing well, aren't they? You know, she was she was bitter and angry. And so I ended up not being able to tell her anything yeah. apart from whether it was sunny or cloudy. Or And in the end, actually, what happened was she decided that it was best if we weren't in touch. So she, just, she said, look, I don't think we should be in touch anymore. She didn't like me challenging her on her drinking. But I had a baby by then. I didn't want her picking my baby up if she was really drunk. And yeah. she refused. she refused to not smoke over him things like that, which I found really difficult. So we were estranged and then she fell ill and due to her alcoholism, she died aged 60. Yeah, it's quite a big life event, but it's not something, I talk openly about it with my close friends and my family, but I haven't shared it openly on social media, only because I'm not sure where it fits with what with the message I'm putting out. But 
Yeah, it's interesting because we'll get into obviously what you're doing now and, you know, how fitness and health, mental, physical health, both you are. But I do think just hearing you tell that story, it's very obvious why physical and mental health is so important to you because you've seen what can happen. And we don't always put those pieces together when we're making our own decisions. But from the outside, I feel like that part of your story is really important or really interesting because it does say a lot about what's shaped you. And obviously, when I'm talking to people about what's happened, what was your first career? Tell me something about how you got to where you are. It sounds to me like there's quite the connection in your childhood and where you are today. You're absolutely right. And fitness is something that's been part of my life since I can remember, since my early 20s. And it was definitely more for the mental health side of things that I exercised than the physical. Because I think back in my 20s, if I was slim enough, and I felt okay going on holiday with my friends in a bikini. That's all I cared, you know, on the fitness side, that's all I cared about. Yeah. But it was for my mental health. I wasn't doing it for any aesthetic or, wasn't, of course, I wasn't thinking about my long-term health in, in my early 20s. <laughs> Mentioned busy, clubbing. Yes, I was so. too busy partying, actually. <laughs> but for my mental health, definitely. But I do drink alcohol. So I, it's not that I've gone, I, I'm not a body is my, my body is my temple kind of person. And I don't want to, I don't want to give that impression at all. So I think I shared with you, I do have a real penchant for shit chocolate, like the nasty stuff. <laughs> I don't like the green and blacks, dark, 70% cocoa. No, I like the cheap stuff. Um, and I do drink alcohol and I do pastry, but I can do all that because it's in balance with everything else that I do. But yeah, you're right. Do you know what? I hadn't really thought of it like that. If someone's going to disregard their health to such a degree, I'm not going to be that person. I hadn't thought of it in quite such black and white terms. I'm just here putting the pieces together. Yeah, thanks. Podcast episode <laughs> after podcast yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're good at what you do, right? Because you're reading, you're reading people too. So I'll go somewhere in between then, between 15 and now. I know you spent, was it 25 years as a career as an 25 years in a career as an HR director with the languages and stuff. For some reason, that's where that takes me. But I don't know if that's how you got into it or what made you an HR director? I literally fell into it. My first proper job was at, for Eurostar. And it, Eurostar- That makes just, sense. <laughs> that they, did, they wanted French speakers. And it was so new that at the time, people just couldn't get their heads around it. What do you mean there's this train that goes- underneath underneath the channel like what how can that happen do you see fish through the window like how could it possibly <laughs> I wish you did that'd be so <laughs> yeah cool. I love it but I, it was bottom of the rung stuff I was in a blue and yellow uniform with a you know jaunty little hat and in customer service and started there it was shift work so quite tough and quite tough because I was this was the clubbing phase so that's why sometimes I was going straight in because it started at five and so I would just go straight into work from there. Sorry, you're a star. The power um, of youth. <laughs> yes, I know. Can you imagine? Like now, if I go out like late and I say late two o'clock, like, it takes me all week to recover. Um, yeah, I was on an overnight flight coming back from the States, uh, not last night, the night before. And I had to basically get off the flight, shower, go do a job and then do an audition. And I was like, uh, I only slept for three hours. Yeah, going from the club to work would not be a thing now. Anyway, I no. digress. Go on. <laughs> no, but it was fun though. Yeah. It was fun. I did enjoy it. And I wasn't the only one. So there's that camaraderie of like, how bad was it? Yeah, it's okay. Got through. And then I, f there was an opportunity in sales for Eurostar. So I moved into sales and I was quite good at sales actually. 
And before I knew it, I then got a job for a food and drink commerce, e-commerce business, got a huge promotion up. I'm never quite sure how I got that, to be honest. It was like a really weird, my salary doubled overnight and I found myself managing a corporate team. And then I moved from there to a concierge business and I've just been good at the people side of stuff. Mm. So I'm, it's the people side of stuff rather than the employment law and all of that. That never interested me very much, but developing people, developing talent and making a difference to them was the bit that I loved most and I enjoyed it for a long long yeah obviously for a long time the hiring I love the recruitment side of it as well and a bit like you do on your podcasts I love the recruitment because in the interviews if you're semi-intelligent you can do a good interview because you know what they're going to ask and you rehearse it and you've looked up written down your answers come up with the great examples I liked unpicking all of that and getting deeper inside and seeing what the person was really about. Loved that, but the firing bit, didn't love the firing bit so much, making people redundant. But I loved it for a long time. And then, and I've always said to myself, if I don't love something, then do something about it. And you know how people say on a Sunday night, they get that dread in in their stomachs about work next day. I never had that ever in my life. And I know some people are struggling to put food on the table and I've been lucky. I was, I got a good education, so I'm privileged in my upbringing in that way. So I've, I've always felt, so I've got choice. I've got choice. And if I just get that dread on a Sunday night, then do something about it. Time to go. And I started falling out of love with it. And that came at a time where the perimenopausal symptoms were all kicking in and I was starting to do my own research into that. So it all it all came together with falling out of love with HR, understanding why I was getting these certain symptoms and what I could do about it. My continued love for fitness and exercise was there. And I had actually thought about, I'm going straight into what's made me change careers now. Is that okay? <laughs> but it all leads, it all kind of converges into the path. I had thought about becoming a PT in my 40s, but I taught myself out of it. I thought I was too old. Yeah, it's interesting because that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. Now you have your future fit is your Instagram and business name, correct? You were 50 when you decided finally or when you started training as a personal trainer. 50 when I started to do the qualifications, started the training courses to re-qualify. Yeah. And it hit with lockdown. So it took a little bit longer than I was expecting. But yeah, 50. Why in my 40s did I think I was too old? And then in, like when I hit 50, think I wasn't too old. It doesn't work. It doesn't seem to follow, does it? And I think I have perimenopause to thank for that. And more of a feeling of going into this new chapter of life. My kids are now 16 and 19. So a couple of years ago, and 17. And I'm thinking, I've got this whole new chapter coming. What am I doing with that chapter? And I know a lot of women... I'm not excited by that next chapter, but I am and I want to be and I'm going to make sure I am. And if I'm not, then I'm going to do something about it because I can't think age 50, 52, that's it now, done. I, that's way too young. We, I also so, think yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me because having started the podcast, the minute I went out on Instagram and said, I'm doing this thing, I'm talking to women who are over 35 And suddenly I became very aware. It helps my own starting into a midlife journey. But all of a sudden I realized there is this renaissance that's happening and women are talking about perimenopause and 
post-menopause and what does it mean to be 35, 45, 50 and beyond. And maybe when you were in your 40s, you weren't seeing that. And I do think, and again, part of it's just because of where I am that I'm seeing it more. But I also think there is this kind of renaissance that we're happier to talk about what's next. And yeah, suddenly 50 doesn't seem too old, where maybe 40 did. I'll give you my take on it, that I think in our 40s, let's, and maybe you've got kids, maybe you haven't, but we, but this is just my take on it. And this is based on kind of friends that I've seen and my own personal situation, that we can get a bit entrenched in the day-to-day. And so I remember I used to struggle with IBS, terrible IBS. Chronic ended up in hospital a few times with it. It was a daily issue in my life. One point I went to hospital and they said, you're going to have see a therapist. You're going to have some CBT for IBS. I'm like, oh, okay. I hadn't thought about doing that. And it was stress that was making it so dreadful. But this therapist said, have you thought about leaving your HR director role? No, absolutely no way. La, 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 fingers in the ears. Don't you suggest that to me. This is who I am. I am an HR director. I manage a department. And I thought that's who I was. And I thought, I thought everything was wrapped up in that. And I actually had slightly, I think I've softened a lot since I had that role. But back then, and this is also, I think, due to my mum and that situation, I was quite corporate. I had a hard edge. I could be ruthless. I was no nonsense. People were a little bit intimidated. And shit, Kate Oakley's called a meeting. What's it about? God, what have I done? And I'm not saying that proudly or anything. I'm just saying... That, that was who I had become. And I've got this hard exterior. Not many people got to see the soft interior. Certainly, probably none at work. And I just feel sometimes we need to take a step back. I've got friends right now who sound miserable. And they've been in their career for a very long time. And for some people, it might not be career. It might be their relationship. It might be where they live. Like maybe they live in London and they're not happy with London and they're complaining about the pollution and the cost, then we've got, you know, I just think let's take a step back. A lot of us can do something about it. Mm-hmm. But instead we stay on this wheel, this hamster wheel and we, that goes round and round and round. Yeah, but I've got this project that I've got to finish at work, so I can't even think about leaving that. Oh, and then, yeah, but I've got this mortgage. Uh, yeah, but you could downsize and live mortgage-free. And it's this wheel that goes round, and I just think that maybe – Sometimes there are ways to get off the wheel and become much happier, much happier. And people will say to me, yeah, but you were brave, Kate. You were brave. (sighs) A bit. Yeah, I was a bit. But it wasn't going to ever be an absolute disaster. I could always go back into HR if I tried personal training and didn't work. Got enough experience. So what was – or if you decide to move location – you can always move. And I think people, do you, do you see what I mean? People get stuck on a, on this locomotion. How do they get off? How do they get off? But yeah, it feels like a locomotion is a, a good analogy because it's like a speeding train. And if you jump, how much is it going to hurt when you fall? <laughs> you're going to do three forward rolls and you're going <laughs> to spring up the other side. <laughs> Two arms. Yeah. Perfect landing. <laughs> yeah. You did mention with your HR role that what you really enjoyed about it was talent development. 
And I think so much of what you're doing now is to help perimenopausal and postmenopausal women, maybe I won't use the word talent, bring them on board with how you feel about fitness and how fitness can really affect your mental health and stress and everything like that. Can you talk about your mission with your future fit? Yes. So that's when I did my qualifications, I knew I wanted to work with peri and postmenopausal women. I hadn't quite figured out how. I knew I wanted to run retreats, affordable retreats that would make a tangible difference to somebody and give them tools to manage this stage of life better. That, yeah, I knew that. But on the kind of PT side, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to look. But what I knew I didn't really want to do was just do, well, book five sessions with me, this price, book 10 sessions with me, slightly cheaper price. Because it's so, one, for my own sake, because I thought that's not very rewarding. I'm not going to get that much out of that. See you next Tuesday. Oh, hi. See you next Tuesday. I just thought that doesn't really float my boat. But secondly, I just thought it's, the depending on the woman's goals, and they're often quite similar, it's just too complex. And you're not going to achieve those goals just by doing a session with me every Tuesday. And in peri and postmenopause, when you've got all these other pieces to to consider, like sleep, stress, self-care, nutrition, along with the exercise, I thought, I need to look at all of them. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to work with someone and really help them achieve their goals, we need to cover this whole picture, the jigsaw, all the pieces of the jigsaw. That's not to say I'm a sleep expert. It's not to say I'm a nutritionist. It's not, but I can't not cover those things. So that's when I developed this 12-week program that I run. And yeah, I do workouts over Zoom with the client. And then I have an app that they do a workout or two from home that I program for them. But then we also catch up once a week on Zoom. And I do hear about energy levels, mood, stress. Stress could be really impacting weight management. So a lot of women say, yeah, but I'm not doing anything different, but yet the weights come on. And then I dig and I find out that they are stressed like beyond belief and we need to look at stress to actually deal with the weight management side of it just doing the workouts isn't going to work or if you know you're eating donuts for breakfast lunch and dinner that's <laughs> sorry. Not gonna, yeah sorry <laughs> but you know three workouts a week is not going to create the lean muscle mass that you want. So that's why I developed that. And you're right, it is quite a lot of coaching and getting people to look at things perhaps in a different way, reprioritize things because we're notoriously bad at prioritizing ourselves. We usually come like way down the list. So women feel, we all are the same, we feel selfish by saying, ah, excuse me, I need to have this amount of sleep. I need to take a break and do this Saturday afternoon instead of doing the laundry, cleaning the house or whatever it might be. And I'm really delighted with this program because it does make a difference. And that's the main thing. When I was in HR, I wanted to make a difference, a positive difference to people. And in this role, that's what I want to do as well, is make a positive difference to women. And I feel, without wanting to sound immodest, I feel I do that. That is rewarding. I mentioned your Instagram page, which I know you're still working on a website, but your Instagram page whether or not it's someone who can do the 12 weeks with you and gets the benefit of your one-to-one time, you put so much out on your Instagram page that is researched and informative. And even I do triathlon coaching. So I do a lot of reading and a lot oh, of I speaking. I do. So I do a lot of 
I spend a lot of time, like you said, with my one-to-one athletes, talk to me about your sleep, talk to me about your stress, talk to me about things that might be making you more tired than just your workout. But I feel like on your page, you're putting out things that I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, or that's really a fascinating thing. Or there's also short workouts and things that I think are really helpful. I guess I'm just agreeing with you. You don't have to sound immodest because you are helping a lot of people. (laughs) Thank you. And that's, again, Instagram, go back two years when I qualified, I didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to use it, didn't know how to share a story. I had never put my face to camera and I did, I bought a course and I've never opened it. Um, I was going to say, because you, you're very natural on camera no, as well. No, you're bought, very... <laughs> I paid for it and I still haven't opened the bloody thing because I just thought, oh no, just get on with it, just get on with it, wing it, just get on with it. And it's worked okay. So I've never opened the course, which is dreadful, isn't it? What a waste of money. But, but you know what? Um, I have a feeling if you would open the course, you would be, there's so many people that are doing all the quote unquote right things on Instagram. Let me do this video where I'm pointing at pop-ups and dancing. I'm never pointing just to say, put it out on the record. If you ever catch me doing a reel and pointing, then please message me and go, okay, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Never. They're very, you're just, like I said, natural to camera. You're saying things that really in my mind, are informative, make perfect sense. And there's some real light bulb moments without actually having a light bulb ding over Oh, that would be really bad. Oh, God. Is that a real thing? Like literally a light bulb on a reel? I think I just made that one up. but (laughs) That would be a good cringe. I I do think it is helping women. I am pleased about that. That's why I keep doing it. Every time I get a DM or a comment where someone says, I didn't think I could ever do weights. I thought uh, even I could manage your short workout. I think, yes, great. I'll keep doing it then. I'll keep doing it because there's a lot of content out there. It's 45 minutes long. I just think that's overwhelming. If you've never picked up some dumbbells, how do you feel that you're going to manage a 45-minute workout, even if you've got the time? Yeah, I've deliberately made them short. And so if they, if people think I'm beyond that because I'm reasonably strong, they can just you can just do the workouts two or three times through. It's fine. But yeah, I'm pleased it's encouraging women to pick up weights and do resistance training in midlife. Again, in my 30s, 40s, I had no idea how essential it was. Never heard about it. I think that's changing. I think women now are hearing through Davina McCall's programs and all this kind of stuff and social media. They're hearing, oh, we need to be doing resistance training for bone health. We need to have a leaner muscle mass. It's going to help with our symptoms. It's changing. And I'm glad that I'm doing my little bit to, to help that change. I honestly think if we were on one of those like cheesy morning talk shows, I'd be like, oh my God, Kate, tell me, how do you get those arms? But obviously you're practicing what you preach because your arms are amazing, which everyone will see if they go onto your Instagram page. But obviously resistance training is the key because as we get older, we do lose muscle mass and bone density. Yes. And that's something we don't hear. Well, we we didn't hear is bone health. And when I heard that one in three women will go on to have a fracture, I'm thinking, what? How can that possibly be? And then I started doing almost like a name call through, oh, my mother-in-law, oh, my aunt, hip replacement. Oh, yeah, had a fall, broke fracture. It starts to add up because they never did resistance training. I don't think that generation ever did anything. They might have done a little bit of yoga or 
Jane Fonda or something when they were, <laughs> when they were younger. Once upon a time, resistance training was we worked on a farm or something and had to pick stuff up. But in modern life, unless you're picking up a weight or something, what do kids maybe, but like groceries, there's not resistance training. It's like we need the resistance training for the practical part of our lives versus that being what it used to be. Yeah. And, and also what I see now is, which has surprised me. So women in their 50s, are starting to, when they get up off the floor, they're starting to use two hands to push up off the floor or you like hold on to a chair or something. And I'm saying, no, you are not 70. <laughs> Even this morning I was doing a session and I said, we're up to standing now. We're going to, we're going to do something for our shoulders. And the client stood up and I said, no, no, how did you get up off the floor then? She went, oh God. Yeah, I did. Didn't I? <laughs> I rolled over. I rolled over and I used my hands to push up. And I think we can get into such bad habits. And I'm really keen to get the message out on that. In fact, maybe I'll do some posts on it. We need to stop making life so easy for ourselves because that's the other thing, isn't it? In this age, we've got convenience. We can do an online shop rather than walk around a huge supermarket. We can order, like all our shopping comes online. When was the last time you went into a town and walked around for three hours? I can't remember. It's everything, everything's so convenient and we're just walking less lifting less even i'm thinking i've just had a new kitchen everything's touch i can just touch stuff and it stuff comes out of a cupboard rather than me having to grapple and get stuff everything's just too convenient and we're we're going to lose strength unless we do something about it but it's actually amazing how quickly you can reverse that so in weeks just in weeks i can see clients who were rolling over to stand up build strength in the fronts of their legs their quads and get up properly and then if they keep doing that, they'll be 65, 70 and still be able to do it. That's my goal. I would feel very happy if I saw legions of women still being able to do that when they're in their 70s. Yeah, my mom just recently started going to physio in her 70s because of a knee issue. And part of it's that she she really is carrying too much weight. But also, she doesn't do a lot of anything that requires strength. And she was so proud because she showed me that she could get up her, out of her chair without pushing with her hands. And as small as that is, that was such a big thing for her. And her physio is encouraging things like that because that the next step is, can you get on the floor? Can you get on the floor and push off with your legs? And, and I remember reading, there is something about longevity and being able to get up without pushing off. And there's something about balance because if you fall, one of the first things that happens as you get older, you lose your balance, you fall, you break something, as you mentioned. Once you break a hip or something, that is one of... I hate to say the leading causes of death, but that is what eventually leads to a lot of people losing their mobility and dying. Yeah. So these are these small things that maybe, you know, it doesn't feel so important that we are able to get up off the floor without pushing off. But that it is, is huge. It is. And the example you've just given is perfect. And we start to use these crutches before we even really need them. And that's the kind of red flag is that I'm starting to see women in their 50s using two hands and pushing off the chair to get up. So it, yeah, we need to address it now. And it feels, I said to this client, how good did that feel? Like that she can hold a weight and get up off the floor. And if it feels good, she's got grandchildren, she wants to run around with the grandchildren. So it, I think the other thing to share is that when you feel stronger, the, the impact on your mental health, it makes you feel stronger mentally to deal with other things that are going on. And that, I wish I could bottle that because I think maybe people think I say that. She would say that. She's a personal trainer and look at her. She lo loves training. 
so I do try and get clients to, to do Instagram lives or to on my website, I'm going to put little testimonial video testimonials up because normal women who just have jobs five days a week, they're busy, they are saying, God, I feel just so much calmer. I can deal with my teenage son so much better than I used to be able to. Oh, work's not driving me mad. Normally I would be like climbing off the walls. I can deal with it better. I'm sleeping better. My energy is better. I feel I'm holding myself taller, prouder. Yeah, there's just so many other benefits on top of the kind of the physical ones that we're hearing about with the bone health and the lean muscle mass and obviously heart health and that it's just a win-win. It is a win-win. I know I sound like a, like probably a stuck record, but. You don't because it is really important and we can hear it. And like you said, I'm joking about, oh my God, tell me about your arms. That's just a lovely side effect. But what really is the key, the root of it is you just mentally can feel better. You can organize your life better. I absolutely agree with all those things. So I know that I say I'm a triathlon coach. I've done triathlon for many years. I'm not a big runner. It's not my favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I've had times that I've been quick, but I've never been. That's just not been my super forte. But the reason I like to run is the same thing. It's when I can't run, when I've been injured, I notice the difference. I notice the difference in productivity. I notice the difference in how I feel every day. And I really notice the difference in just this uh, kind of thing that goes away when I'm running. I don't have bottled up anxiety, rage, (laughs) stress. I don't like to think I have rage, but sometimes I do. And that just is something, it's worth the, oh God, I have to go for a run to feel that much better. And I think if you ask other people around you, they would say, yeah, you're a nicer person when, Kristen, when you go for really, a Yeah. Please go, go for a run. run. Yeah. <laughs> is it time for a run? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you hangry or do you need a run? <laughs> I know, but although that would drive you mad, right? Do we need a little run now? Do we not have, uh, have we not had the run yet? That'd be like saying to someone, cheer up. <laughs> yeah. Or are you on your period? Yeah. You mentioned not being a nutritionist, but you've done a lot of research and everything. But I also think it's fair to say it takes a village because I know that you are about to do a retreat this summer with Louise Pittman, who, and I know you have a longstanding relationship with her, but she was one of the guests on the podcast and she puts on, or I've been a swim coach on one of her amazing retreats. And I know you two are teaming up for something. Tell me about the retreat. Yeah. So I met, I met Louise through Instagram, which is just fortuitous. Love Instagram for these connections. And we just hit it off, I think. And we just make a great team because she, so she, for anyone who doesn't, hasn't listened to that podcast or know her, Louise is a fantastic yoga teacher. She's also great at breath work, which I've found my saving grace. I can't get into meditation in the way you'd normally expect, but breath work for me really does help me on mindset. And she and I have teamed up. We did one retreat together last year. This year, we're doing two. And so I'm doing technique masterclasses, I'm calling them. So real focus on technique of resistance training. Um, And we're doing, so it's daily breath work, strength training, yoga. We've got a gong bath practitioner coming in. We're going to squeeze in some cold water swimming for those that want to, that's optional. So that's just in the downtime. That's not optional. That's what I coached last time. And everybody was like, this was like, oh, amazing. 
amazing. <laughs> no, yeah, it's optional I would say, on your retreat. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's optional just so people don't feel they have to. Yeah. But last year, everyone did come and everyone loved it and got such a high from it. And not just, well, let's not get on to the benefits of it, but yeah, there were, you know, that's for another time. And so we've got one retreat in third weekend in June, which is in Hampshire, uh, edge of the New Forest. So it's on a farm. It's beautiful in these converted barns, very stylish. And we've got a few places left on that, but we've only got one place on the Devon one, which is 23rd of April. I think that one is only one space left on that. And that's quite different in that's in cabins and very you know really in nature so when I say you need to wear a head torch if you want to go to the bathroom in the night it's that kind of much in nature writers go there to retreat and just have freedom to write without interruptions of the outside world it's that kind of charm and we've just got one place left there so if anyone's interested yeah they need to hurry and then the goal of them is to allow women to reframe and reset at this time of life so be they perimenopausal or post, but actually also we had a, a premenopausal woman come and she said, I want to come because I want to know what I need to be doing once I reach that point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to find out once I'm already in it. And I thought, gosh, wow, what a sensible approach. And so she said, I'm coming like almost ahead of time. Brilliant. Yeah, do that. Because we, you know, there's talk, lots of talk about nutrition. I take HRT, Louise doesn't. That's both our individual choices. So that's quite also quite interesting that you've got two people running and doing their own thing differently. So people can get a lot of tools from the retreats that they then take home. So it's not a fluffy dressing gown and slippers, feels good while you're there and then makes no lasting change. It's We want it to make lasting change, but be fun and upbeat and positive too. So it's not all intense and serious. Yeah. And unfortunately, I know there's plenty of people that won't be able to fit onto the retreat, let alone make it to the places you are. But I did want to mention it because I think having helped out with one of Louise's retreats, I know that they're amazing. And I know the two of you together are amazing. So anybody who's out there should definitely book on or go onto your Instagram page for the shorter sessions because I think either way, people will get a lot out of them. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. You've said so many things already that are great tips, what you've experienced with your own stress and how fitness has helped. But what about when it comes to making a big change like this? Do you have any further tips about, you know, somebody who maybe is thinking about a big career change, a big life change? My simple answer is, which sounds maybe a little crass, is to be bold and to really think what's the worst that can happen and what's the best. Quite often we say, oh, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, but what's the best that can happen? Because what's the worst that can happen is already quite a negative path to go down, isn't it? I might be crap and people might laugh at me. And Let's think about what's the best that can happen. And it might help to just go old school and get a piece of paper and have two columns on it, the fours and the againsts. I think sometimes we just don't even let ourselves go to that point. We just have this idea that rattles around. It comes out when we're dissatisfied with other mm-hmm. areas of our life. And then it gets shut back in the box again. And I'm just saying, let's get it out of the box, really address it. I don't know if you've got friends that complain. They complain every time you see them, it's the same complaint. And I'm thinking, I say, but there's only so many times you can say, the power is in your hands. You control this. And I'm talking about a certain situation. So not someone who's holding down three jobs just to feed the feed the kids and put pay the electricity bill. 
I get that that's more complex. But if you are in a position where you could try something new, you can always review it. I always put in a review. You know, so let's say I decided to run day retreats for a while. I've not done those before. That sounds a bit scary. They'd probably be on my own. I've not done a retreat on my own. Yeah, how would I promote it? Who would come? Is there enough expertise for one day? Just me. So all of those ah, questions, am I good enough? Will it work? La, la, la. So, yeah, but what's the best that could happen? The best that could happen is that I fill all the spots. I really make a difference to women. They leave that retreat with extra tools to manage their menopause in a fantastic way. I feel over the moon that I've achieved it. That's the best that can happen for me. Yes, I would like to earn some money from it as well. Yes, I've got bills still to pay. The worst that can happen is I try it once and it doesn't work and I don't sell the spots and possibly I would try and take some risk out of it and maybe I'm not going to make a loss, maybe I break even. So I think I've given you a very long answer, but <laughs> is take a step back and think what is the best that can happen. And if you need to work out the risks versus the benefits, that's an exercise that you can do. And get advice maybe from friends. Ask friends. Ask friends what they think. Yeah, it's interesting because I always phrase the question just based on what the podcast is about. If somebody wants to make this change, how can they? But it was interesting you saying, you know, what if I wanted to do a day retreat? It's these this kind of advice is so good, even if it's something that's just a bit smaller in your life, because not everybody's going to be listening and go, oh, I was thinking about a career change or I was thinking about majorly changing my life and moving to another country or something. Sometimes it's just something small in your life. But if it's something that's niggling at you, sometimes I think that puts you in this place of paralysis that's actually, it's not that big of a deal. Like, what is the best that could happen? Yeah. Go yeah for you're it. right. It doesn't need to be yeah, I was going to, I was thinking of writing a book or starting a podcast, or it could just be like, for me, it would be something like this day retreat. And I, I, I know I come across as really confident, but I, behind the scenes, I still have the same doubts and, you know, questioning myself as anybody else. And I don't have a colleague, so I can't even run it by a colleague and say, what do you think? How shall I go about this? And, and my husband, to be honest, is just too busy and yeah. I, he's too busy and I don't want to load it on him. So yeah, it could just be something small, but you just are a bit afraid to do it, but you'd like to. And then, but you go in these cycles and you, yeah, I want to, yeah, but yeah, but I want to. Yeah. And it's the yeah, buts <laughs> that keep coming in. Keep so coming many in. yeah, buts, but then yeah. The, the yeah, buts can work as you've just proven the yeah, buts can work in both directions. Yes. There's that expression. What if I fall? Yes. But what if you fly or something like that? Yeah. That's just reminded me, this is a bit off tangent, but I just, I vowed to myself, I realized I was moaning about the weather in January and the fact it was January and it was dark. And I just said to myself, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it for myself. So I'm going to reframe it. And there was a friend of mine who I noticed was also doing the same. And I said, look, you in for this? She said, count. Oh, I told her I was doing it. She said, I'll oh, count me in. I said, right, hold each other accountable. So every time if, you, if it slips out, all these dark nights. Yeah, but it's really cozy and warm inside, isn't it? Or, oh God, it's so cold. Yeah, but I'm lucky. I've got this really nice big coat to go for a walk in and gloves and a hat. How lucky am I? Just try and reframe a positive because it can just get a bit, you know, we also need to work on ourselves a bit. And I just thought, oh, I'm moaning a lot. Just, I was like, <laughs> well, this is so boring. Stop moaning about the dark and the weather. It's not going anywhere till about March. You need to come up with a better tactic than just moaning. I said the same thing in January. I was like, I'm so bored of my own complaining because January comes every year. Yeah. Get 
over it. (laughs) I like the positive reframing. I just said, oh, I'm bored. Stop complaining. (laughs) I I needed a little positive reframe. And it's worked. It's worked. Literally haven't moaned about the dark or the cold since. Yeah, because like you said, we're lucky, you know, that there's choice. We're lucky that we might have a nice warm coat on to put on or what have you. So there's not that much to moan about, really. No, no, no. And it's the 1st of March, isn't it? So yes. Yeah. I think this is coming out next week. So it'll be the 8th of March when we drop. And by then, I mean, it's basically spring. (laughs) Yeah. Spring is round the corner. Spring is round the corner. Definitely. Kate, did you bring a quote for me today? I did. Yes. And I've touched on the sentiment behind the quote actually already. So the quote is, if you don't like the road you're walking, start paving another one. And that is by the very, very special Dolly Parton. Yeah. So if you don't like the roads you're walking, start paving another one. That's just something I've always lived. And we decide. And I have actually worked with underprivileged teenagers who are part of gangs, really underprivileged kids, and as part of a a charity program that, that they were running. And they were taught that, no, you can't control what's happened to you, that you've been born into this situation, this housing, really difficult, challenging situations. But you can choose how you deal with it. So you can choose the path Mm -hmm. you're on now, like from it. And this program was about getting them into work, a training program, getting them away from gangs, away from crime and moving away. And I I do think we, we need to control what's going on. And then once you start controlling what's going on, that feels quite powerful. And then the positive cycle starts. Yeah, because look at Dolly Parton. (laughs) I don't know the intricacies of her life exactly, but I know enough about her that she didn't come from privilege or no. she was not in a good situation. And she's continually just, she's a hero for so many formidable. reasons, but she's formidable and what she's given back to her community and to so many people. And it's because she didn't like the road she was walking on. Yeah. And I didn't like the road I was walking on anymore with HR. And honestly, I couldn't be happier with the change I made. Couldn't be happier. I think that's a perfect place to end it because- that is making me want to go out and do some road changes of my own. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. I don't know. Like you said, pressure off. But yeah, it's very inspiring chatting with you, Kate. So thank you so much for coming. Your Instagram is at your future fit. So everybody should yes. check it out. And yeah, good luck with everything. Enjoy the retreats. Thank you. If anyone's got any questions about anything they see on Instagram, about getting into exercise or how to progress it, anything like that, then please, I really welcome DMs, comments. I just want to help. So don't be shy if you want to ask me something. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.